welcome to the World Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Owen Jones, and joining me of course is my co-host, the Professor Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello. Tonight, our worldly travels in cinema take us to the Dutch thriller The Vanishing from 1988, uh, directed by George Sulzer, um, a director who is probably best known for directing the remake of this film, I guess, other than this film. I don't think he's sort of like a director who sort of had much sort of exposure over here um, at all. And and sort of career-wise, I was looking for his filmography. Nothing sort of like stood out. And like um, when we were like looking at Fireman's Ball and obviously that director went on to do like One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest and Hair and all these great movies. I was thinking with uh, with Suitsa, you know, having directed this legendary horror film, that uh, he would have a few other choice uh, titles under his belt, but it doesn't seem to be the case. No. Um, the only thing... There was some documentary he'd done that he's... Uh, I can't even remember the story. That's how memorable it was. But I think he's... Some suggestion... That, I don't know. It was a it was a bad faith documentary or something. I'm sure somebody listening is going, "Oh my god, don't you know this?" But yeah, I I I, I have heard of none of, I have not heard of any of his other films at all. <laughs> yeah, he was um, filming Dark Blood, um, with uh, which had River Phoenix, which was obviously incompleted due to the untimely death of Phoenix. Um, but. Um, yeah, that's apart from that. That's only really been shown like twice, um, and as I said, it was incomplete. So it kind of makes you wonder what state that one was particularly in. But but um, yeah, I've just I've I've just found the um, the controversy is that yeah he he accused um, Ariel Sharon, who used to be the defense minister of Israel, of shooting two Palestinian children in a camp. Okay. Um, so yeah, I have no idea if any of that's true or not, but that's his uh, that's his only other claim to fame, as far as I can find out. But yeah, obviously this one though was quite the um, core celeb. Yeah. Back in the day. Well, this is the this is the thing as we were saying, you know, the on our previous episode uh, when I picked this because it's one of those titles, much like you know, Stepford Wives, it's very much in the sort of public conscious, and a lot of people want to talk about the ending. And the same, we could also say the same for Audition, but it had been a film purely because I was knowing the ending that I'd never seen before. But I felt that you know, it was important six. I'd had a lot of people giving it sort of rave reviews and saying that it was like this absolutely fantastic film. And I know team member Steph is a big fan of this film, it's in a top four if you go onto a letterbox page and yeah this was uh, the reason i brought it to the show so we could like finally cross it off the uh the list yeah i've got to be honest like you it's just one of these films that i'd never got around to watching so I, I, it's quite shocking that between the two of us neither of us had seen this before <laughs> um but it is its reputation precedes it as you say the director made a a poorly received western hollywood remake is it with jeff bridges he did and he also gave a happy ending which is like the capital thing because it like americans also got the happy ending for the big blue and brazil and yeah we're, we're going to talk about the ending obviously for this one but and i think we i think i think let's just say spoilers are going to rebound i don't i just don't think you can talk about this film without 
talking about the ending. I just think that's impossible because <laughs> it's the thing that makes it unique. It's so key, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but the film is known as Spolus, uh, which translates as Traceless or Without Trace. Um, as I said, this is a Dutch film based on the novella The Golden Egg by Tim Crabby, which was released in 84, this film adaptation coming um, in 88. Uh, the film itself, though, it follows a young Dutch couple uh, called Rex and Saskia who are holidaying in France. And while on the holiday, they the car runs out of petrol and they stop at a rest station where where Saskia disappears, leading Raymond, leading Rex into this obsessional pursuit of trying to find out what happened to Saskia. Um, and as many years go on, he begins to be contacted by the man who says that he is responsible for her disappearance and offering to show her, show him what happened to her. Uh, with the film taking a very interesting approach, as not only do we follow Rex on his quest over a number of years, but we also get to see the man who fought, who took her um, and find out his backstory, which adds a very interesting twist to what would be otherwise a very traditional thriller absolutely um yeah so, so yeah so the film opens with the you know we build up the relationship with this young couple very sort of about to go on a trip and they fall out and they tease each other and they fall in you know i mean it's we're teased a little bit aren't we with a with an initial bit of scariness going on in a tunnel that's right. It's almost um, like um, he kind of expected that that people were going to talk about the ending of this, and it's all like, "Oh, people are going to like know what the setup is." So I'm just going to tease it early in this film. <clears throat> yeah, ab- absolutely. It's yeah, the beginning. The beginning of the movie is yeah. It's it, it's it's you, you're you're led down the path that you think something's going to happen, and then at a sort of a motorway service station european style though it's in france isn't it so even though this is a dutch film with dutch characters it takes place mostly in france um and so yes yeah, she, she disappears at sort of a, a a motorway service station and then the film flips and basically tells us the story of the person who took her in a almost day of the jackal kind of way that it just becomes his story for um for the sort of the second act of the movie and that's the bit of the film i think is quite unique or it may be not unique now but certainly at the time i don't think of many films that just said you know what let's go and change our lead character now for the second act (laughs) It's certainly an interesting approach. I think the fact that we've had films where we're obviously following the serial killer, such as, you know, like Man Bites Dog or Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. But I don't, I couldn't think of a a film where we've followed our lead and then we've switched over and given the story of the um, antagonist, uh, which in this case is this wealthy man known as Raymond, who's... Kind of a an oddball. He's a wealthy guy, but he's and a family man. At the same time, he's got this obsession with abducting women. He's got this whole fantasy that he's playing out in his head of like how he's going to abduct women. And we see over the course of the film from his story 
how he sort of like plans out how he's going to carry out this plot. He experiments with chloroform and he rehearses like methods to entice women into his car. And uh, we even see him like and, fail uh, multiple times. At trying I was going to say, let, let, let's face it, he's pretty shit at it. <laughs> and, and, he, and he sort of gives this story so like 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 he's um I don't know like he's meant to be emotionally disconnected and that he doesn't feel for other people and that although that's clearly not true because like him and his youngest daughter have a clear bond it's a bit weird but yeah it's that it is actually at times quite funny because he's he sort of comes up with these plans it fails and then he sort of changes the plan a little bit and 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 the and the kidnap that we find at the end is um or, or at the beginning, as it were, <laughs> is basically his success. And the whole sort of second act of the film builds up to that. And we see the kidnapping of um, Saskia from his point of view as well. So it's quite nice that you sort of Rashomon style, you see the same story played out twice. I think that's a really good analogy there to obviously compare it to Rashomon, obviously, because it is obviously the multiple viewpoints of the same mm. story. Um but the fact he's he's such a useless I do, I, do we call him a useless um, serial killer? Because I suppose his best way to describe describe this guy. Um, I mean that that that's how he comes across to me. But it's also I think his we first also time have... he's tried to do this, so there is obviously yeah. an element of sloppiness to what he's trying to do. And this is also 1988 when this film is made, and I think although there have been films up to now that have been about serial killers i'm thinking i don't know hitchcock's frenzy i'm thinking uh powell's peeping tom i'm thinking ah, man bite dog has that happened yet I, I don't know but there's there's we're getting to this point where the whole cult of the serial killer the true crime the 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 and we're not at podcast yet, but we certainly there's lots of films and TV shows where suddenly serial killers become almost celebrity. And so we're used to these hyper-competent serial killers, especially now, you know, you think of Hannibal or something like that, right? I mean, I guess um, 88, that we're getting, we're in the same sort of realms, aren't we, as Silence of the Lamb. So it's, it's kind of, it's at that point where serial killer movies are and, and, and the whole fictions are... And and also the true crime stuff is becoming a big thing, so so we're not used to these sort of hyper competent ones. But this guy is, yeah, you could quite easily see a movie about him where he never successfully manages to kidnap anybody, let, let alone kill them. <laughs> he's not really a serial anything, is he? He he's a he's a killer. He just manages it. Yeah, I mean certainly when we get to we're looking at this film. So this is eighty eight. Two years previously, we've got Michael Mann's um, Manhunter. Which is in '86, which is an adaptation of uh, Thomas Hatch's Red Dragon, the first of the Hannibal Lecter books, and that has um, obviously has large sections where it follows the actual serial killer, and we have like the Hannibal parts where it's, um, which would obviously be the sort of like a laying the foundation really for what would follow with the much superior, in my opinion, Silence of the Lambs. Um, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with you. <laughs> there are people out there who really love Manhunter, and I've. I've seen it multiple times. I just don't get to grab to it the same way that everyone else seems to do. Um, I I quite 
I quite like Manhunter. Um, Brian Cox plays Lecter in that one, doesn't he? Yes, Spelled Brian Cox is, is phenomenal as Lecter. I love that, but they spell it uh, L-E-K-O-R. Um, Lector, Lector, isn't it? And, and, and I do like... Um, it's the guy that played Grissom in CSI, isn't it? Um, yes. Uh, I can't remember his name. But I think it's kind of stylish in that Michael Mann, Miami Vice kind of way. Um, well, Michael Mann himself is... Uh... Another conversation for another day because I, I don't like Heat. I just recently watched Thief, which I thought was okay. Um, but Miami Vice can just go blow it out of this here. <laughs> I mean, I was I was really into Miami Vice back in the day, but you know, I was young. Oh, you're talking about the um, TV show, the yeah, 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 yeah. Version, I just so. mean, I just mean the way that this thing's filmed is the sorry, not this thing, the 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 Red Dragon film. It's like this sort of cold, sterile. So quite, um, you know, it's quite, it's quite, um, what's the word? It's quite well produced, but I just find it very cold. Whereas Silence of the Lambs, just, just this, Jonathan Demme's just made this gorgeous thing. And he won Oscars for it. It's, you know, it was the first horror movie, if you want to call it that, to win Oscars. Um, it's just like, it's like chalk and cheese. I don't mind the, um, who is it did the remake, the Red Dragon remake? Um... Somebody. I don't remember who direct. I because I, I remember it feeling really unnecessary. Cause, uh, um... It was. I thought it was, but I thought it was okay. It was unnecessary. And then Hannibal, the one with um, uh, what's the name? I want to call her Amber Waves. Juliet Moore. Juliet Moore. Oh, you see, I liked. Yeah. I liked uh, Hannibal. Oh God, that was. I did. I. The novel was trash as well. I yeah, mean, I mean, the novel, <laughs> much like uh, Hannibal Rising was a much better novel than a film, I would certainly say that. Mm. Um, I think this is a problem. Thomas Harris has sort of like rid himself into this corner where his publisher, publisher and everyone else is sort of like demanding more lector books, but at the same time, he was sort of like done <laughs> really with the first two. It's sort of like, it's sort of like, didn't yeah. really have anything else to say on this. And and I think um, I think that's that's where I'm coming from is that that Tom the fact that Thomas Harris became this popular author during the 80s I think it was the 80s very yeah. much wasn't it 80s and 90s that was you know he he was the person who brought along the sort of the serial killer as anti-hero kind of thing you know so much of his book I mean I I I was all part of it mate I'm I've got all Thomas Harris's books. <laughs> I'm down with it. I think Silence of the Lambs is one of the greatest films ever made, as I've just gushed then. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fully complicit in this world. And I just think Vanish, The Vanishing or Spoilosh absolutely sort of fits into that world, which is probably why this Dutch director, who's got a fairly forgettable CV, suddenly has this film which is considered by many to be a classic. I mean... I was looking at the letterbox reviews, mate, and people are saying this is the scariest film I've ever seen. Now, I'm going to seriously question that, but you know, it is it is a film, and I think the other one that you 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 know you mentioned, uh, Mike's um, audition. It's like one of those films that is even if you haven't watched any other subtitled film, and in Mickey's case, if you haven't watched any other Japanese film, loads of people watched Audition, right? And I think that's the same for this. This was a a Dutch film. I mean, only other Dutch films people ever probably watched is probably people digging into Verhoeven's back catalogue, and even then, probably not. So yeah, and 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 it got a very swift, 
Hollywood remake. So it was it was it was a part of the zeitgeist. That's the word I'm struggling for. So yeah. I'm just having a look. I'm just I was just having a look at other serial killer movies from over the obviously Psycho, M, um Seven. Seven's probably contemporaneous with this, isn't it? 95, and that's well after it, actually. Yeah, because, I mean, Seven's right into the 90s. I mean, you look at the other sort of serial killer films of this era, I mean, we're obviously getting into the route for the bad guy era of the slasher movie, and when you've got, like, Friday the 13th mm. and Nightmare on Elm Street, you're rooting more for the killer than you are for the, the teens. The teens are just there to add for the body count. Um, obviously, mm. this is taking it in a very different direction because it's obviously you have this guy who you're following. I don't think you're exactly rooting for him to abduct women. I, I, I don't think you are, but he's... It, it, it's, and I'm not even saying it's sympathetic towards him, but he's certainly front and centre. And I think the fact that it is some of his attempts are quite comedic. Oh, so it's just him chloroforming himself. Yeah, it does... T- potentially either takes the edge off it or I think the idea is to juxtapose it to the complete horror of what actually he's achieved because of course throughout the film even though we've seen him kidnap her we don't know what he's actually done so you know in the third act it all comes back together again where we um, re-meet what's the fella's name? is it Rex? yeah Rex is the name for a dog not a person (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and he's kind of moved on with his life. He realises she's gone, um, but he hasn't really moved on with his life. Even though he's got a new girlfriend and everything, he's obsessed about finding out what happens with what, what happened to Saskia. Um, he's still getting teased by the uh, Ra- is it Raymond, isn't it? That's the fella's name. Um, saying, "Well, oh, come and meet me at this cafe, and I'll tell you what happened to her." and but he just sits there and watches him but and but he sort of just gets inspired to go and do a goes on tv and does all those kind of things which people do now a tv appeal you didn't see that in peeping tom did you <laughs> it's, it's it feels very it's sort of kind of modern in that regard and then they meet up and go on a little road trip <laughs> that's what you do with a murderer it's it's certainly uh, an interesting approach I mean perhaps if I had not seen Branded to Kill where the two rival hitmen decide to move in as roommates oh yeah yeah, um, I mean, yeah this would seem a little more surreal but it's I, the fact that when we look at the character of Raymond they don't have him as having any sort of like disgusting sort of like quirks and stuff he's not like hanging out with a decapitated head or he's got like he's making like himself a skin suit or something he's just as i said he's an everyday family guy who's just got this weird obsession with pulling off a kidnap plot um his actual kidnap plot being very similar to like bundy potentially being a cast and that he can't uh help himself to sort of lure women into this full sense of security but there's something very fascinating in the process of watching him prepare for it. And I think the fact he is so stripped of any sort of like weird quirks or kinks or anything like that makes it makes that sort of process so engrossing to watch. I think if he was like given some sort of disgusting quirk, then it would be a lot harder to watch and we wouldn't be so engaged in his journey to do this horrible act. Um, and yeah, and, and I think it's quite important that this isn't. I mean, I talked about Science of the Lambs, and one of the sort of the criticisms it gets now in retrospect is the sort of the sexualization 
or the, or the sexual fetish nature of what Buffalo Bill is doing, where it, it's probably not very accurate to how such people are. Whereas in this case, there's there's, there's no there's no sexual fetishy aspect to this. He's not getting off on it. In fact, it, it's it's pretty much said that he has no real feelings or emotions or connections. He's just decided this is something he wants to do, and he becomes obsessed with the activity. And you know, there's a summer house where he goes and does things, and, and like you say, he keeps he keeps trying and, and perfecting his plan. Um, it isn't until way later that we find out there's a little bit more to it than just doing the kidnapping. Um, yeah, it's... but yeah, you know, he's, he's 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 a family guy. We get to meet his kids, surly daughter, cheerful daughter, his <laughs> wife who thinks he's having an affair. Um, <laughs> who with? I don't know, but apparently, apparently the uh, the Dutch Sanders. Maybe he's like a Dutch nine or something. Mm. I don't, I can't really say. I can't really comment on the uh, the people of uh, the Dutch people, but um... well, remember he's remember he's French. Raymond's French. He's not Dutch. That's what's confusing. Rex and Saskia are Dutch. <laughs> and so there's this world where they're all speaking French to each other in a Dutch film. It's very confusing. <laughs> Luckily, we're just relying on the uh, subtitles, aren't we? This is the thing when, you, when, you, when you're following subtitles, you're not going, oh, they're speaking Dutch there, they're speaking French. No, it yeah. all becomes this Babel, like one language that we're all suddenly speaking. Yeah, um, but yeah. And it's kind of Absolutely. fun as well when you see like he it's not enough for him to like pull off this kidnap plot. The fact that it becomes an obsession. He's he's now shares this bond with Rex. It's sort of like they're connected for the disappearance of Saskia, even though he's obviously responsible for it. And then it's sort of like, well, I'm just going to evolve as this uh, this killer. It's sort of like, how do I evolve? And it's like I'm going to start playing mind games with uh, with Rex. And the fact that he's a he, he's a chemistry teacher, I believe. That's right. Yeah, um, he's a teacher. So he's got he's got all these like uh, ideas and things that he can like do, which obviously plays into the end game of this film. But as you said already, the fact that he watches him at the cafe and we see uh, Rex have a freak out because he's basically there going running around accusing people of like being the being uh, Raymond and just Raymond just there watching over from the balcony. Um, mm, yeah, in in Neem outside his house. Yes, <laughs> like exactly. It's, it's um, yeah, and and of course, you know, Rex, Rex, of course, is a. I mean, when we first meet him, I'm gonna say he's a bit of a dick. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he leaves poor Saskia in this dark tunnel when their car breaks down. After, well, firstly, he's a twat because he refuses to fill up the car with petrol at the petrol station, even though she said you should fill up the car. And then he leaves. <laughs> How many times have we all terrified. been there, though? It's sort of like, well, yeah. But then we, if if our girlfriend tells us, our, our fiance really tells us that she's terrified of being left alone in the dark, and in a mood, he just leaves her there. I mean, the whole thing seems a bit. I think are they off to see her parents or something? I think there's some there's some, but I can't remember why they're going there. But um, the the. That they're going somewhere, maybe to meet friends or something. But yeah, he's a prick. And then they kind of make up, don't they? And they do this lovely little, oh, let's let's bury some coins under a tree at the service station to show how much we love each other. And then bang, she's left, and then no one will believe him. 
because he's a raving nutter. <laughs> and that's to be fair. I think we'd all be like that, right? I don't know. The blind panic when she disappears. You... I think that that's a, yeah, that's a, a terrifying sequence. And I think it's, as I said, empowering young children especially, is sort of like when you have those moments where they disappear. And it's, oh my it's God. just like yeah, the most traumatizing thing. I think this is the another of those examples of like when you have kids, certain things like get screwed up. Like I can't watch things with children in peril now, as mm-hmm. it just goes right through, through me. It's like before it never used to face me. After kids, it's like the worst thing in the world. It's sort of like you really want to uh, poke me with a stick. I That's yeah. I can't remember what the film is, but what's the film? Oh, I um, oh, it was one I watched fairly recently with Olivia Coleman. And oh, I can't remember what it's called, but she's on like a Greek island. And anyway, a kid gets kidnapped. Um, and that's only a part of the story. Eventually, the kid gets found. But yeah, absolutely terrifying because the kid gets kidnapped at the beach, and it's only for like five minutes of the film. And the kid gets it doesn't it, it, the kid doesn't get kidnapped at all. The kid just gets is off doing something else. But you think the kid's been kidnapped, and yeah, absolutely terrifying. It gets to the pit of your soul doesn't it when it's, when it's children related you know like people who won't watch films where harm's being done to an animal because you know they're particularly close to their pet it's like that but times a million because it's to do with the kids in this case it isn't a child but i can i can see myself panicking like rex at the service station especially when you get that thing well you know they've got to be missing for 24 hours before we can report it to the police or anything, which wouldn't happen with a kid. But in this case, you know, these people are quite, um, well, they're typically sort of French um, administrators. It reminded me a bit of Subway, mate, actually. <laughs> you know, the uh, the policeman in Subway, the, the, the one that was just taking in all the reports of, of all the robberies. That's what the guy at the petrol oh, right, yeah, yeah, station yeah. reminded me of, yeah. There's another film, uh, an American film called Breakdown with uh, Kurt Russell, that uh, where his wife goes goes missing. In that case, it's um, their car breaks down and he, she gets picked up by a trucker. And uh, when he catches up with the trucker, like a few miles down the road, he's like, "Oh, I have no idea of, of where your wife is." And yeah, I've seen yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and it's um, the only film I could think of which is, does its disappearance section as well as. This film, I mean, there's other films which have, like, that disappearance um, of, like, a child in particular. I think, like, Minority Report and Ransom both tried to do it, but they don't seem to have the impact of this one. And I think it perfectly captures that blind panic that Rex is in. He's sort of, like, where, you know, she's just gone to get drinks um, at, the, at the petrol station, and then she's just gone. And then, and at the same time, life is continuing around him. Like cars are coming and going, and and he's just running around like a madman. Nobody wants anything to do with him, and he's trying to get help. He's trying to have, find someone who's going to give him sort of some indication of like uh, someone who's seen Saskia, but no one can help him. And it's that sequence in particular. I think is just it. Nobody ever really talks talks about that scene. They all want to talk about the ending of this film. But, mm. It's one of a number of uh, sequences in this film which, um, that just really sort of captured the psychology of, of the situation, really. Um, and the fact that when Rex is going on and his, his sort of obsessive state, even like three years later, the fact that the impact it has on his new relationship, the fact that she's willing to help him like look for his 
well, his missing fiance. But at the same time, it's sort of like she's reaching that point where she's sort of like, you know, I just can't be attached to this person. You're sort of you're mourning a ghost here. Saskia's gone, but you won't refuse to accept it. And 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 he has this um, moment, doesn't he? This sort of moment of. Uh... Like he has like almost like a seizure during a dream, which matches a dream that she talked uh, that Saskia talked about at the beginning of the film, but, which is yeah, the novel that been is prison in the neck. <laughs> so uh, it, that that's right, and then so suddenly, and I just I just just re-energizes him. But yeah, that that I mean, well done, mate. It's only three years later, but he's fully moved on, got a new girlfriend, and that, and then and it sounds like he's suddenly that this 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 dream he has, this kind of seizure thing that he has kind of reinvigorates him to to now and try and find out the truth and clearly she's been living with this the whole time you know she's clearly lived her the whole relationship in the in the shadow of this fiance that disappeared i'm, I'm saying fiance i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure I, I'm, I'm not imagining that but it doesn't matter you know imagine being in a relationship i mean I guess we've all over the years been in relationships where we're not quite as good as the ex, but that's terrible when that ex is, you can't even be mean about the ex that you're being compared to because you don't know what's happened to her. Although I think that's the other thing though. I think Rex does know that she's dead, doesn't he? I mean, I think he's come to terms with that. He just wants to know. Yeah. It's, it's really a sort of sense of closure and the fact that it also becomes such a high profile case as you said already, he's he goes on these programs to talk about her disappearance, and everyone seems to know of of the uh, case of this missing girl. We see the flyers on the street, and it's um, which I think in some way I've, you can't help but think Raymond's sort of like really getting the sort of vibe off the fact that he's managed to get away with it for three years. No one's come looking for him at all, and he's sort of like he even like sets up his sort of like cover for himself where he like uh disguises himself as an injured motorist so that he can like get a get away with uh mm. with the, with this kidnapping but we don't actually see, once he kidnaps her we don't actually see what he does with Saskia. it's all left uh to the end really it uh oh uh, 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 absolutely so after the kidnap time shoots back forward three years and it's about the sort of it's not even a cat and mouse it's, it's a very mild <laughs> um antagonistic it's relationship just... <laughs> isn't it yeah and and eventually they meet up and and basically because raymond i think is a bit <laughs> frustrated that no one's caught him <laughs> because his um and, and like i say that and then they sort of make some the offer you if you come with me i'll show you what happened to her and Rex sort of acquiesces to this demand, at which Raymond then sort of just tries to explain to this bloke in a road trip why he did it. And I'm not utterly convinced about Raymond's motivations. Um, I think it's something along the lines of, like, like I said, his youngest daughter absolutely adores him, and he doesn't really think he deserves it. But which then leads his, his thing is like, um, she thinks I'm a really good person, but you can only be really good if you're capable of doing something really awful and evil. Which I'm not. It's not something that absolutely <laughs> tracks in my head as uh, as one leading to the other. And then his view is the most evil thing he could have done would be to um, 
I don't know, kidnap or murder a, a young woman. Um, I mean, not saying that's on the hierarchy of bad things to do. That's not a bad. It's basically thing to do, his 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 life there are. philosophy <laughs> that he's come up with is basically on the same level of uh, Seven's John Doe. That he's gonna commit. He's gonna have this act. Yeah, and it's gonna be puzzled over for years to come, and it's going to be like this big big sermon. Or in his case, it's more of a personal philosophy that he's testing, and what he he sort of fails to realize that he is just you know a flavor of the week he's not that uh, important the only thing, reason mm. that he stays relevant even though nobody knows who he is is the fact that rex refused to let saskia's disappearance drop he kept it as his high profile case um well 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 he did he did eventually but yeah, I mean, it seems like the worst thing that's happened to, to Raymond is that he got away with it. and But you hear this, don't you? I mean, it's one of those sort of, I don't know if it's really true, but it's, it's, a, it's a staple of the true crime thing that the murderer always sort of turns up at the funeral or tries to get involved in the uh, investigation because they kind of want to claim credit for what it is they've done. And the worst thing would be them getting away with it. I mean, there was the fellow, wasn't he, that killed that girl... Or was it the girls? The, the oh, the uh, handyman fellow was it? in the UK, and he absolutely. Oh no, sorry, Peter Sutcliffe. Um, well, Peter Sutcliffe was the Yorkshire Ripper, wasn't the he? One you, you mean he was? Um, um, you know the one I mean, and he sort of got all involved in the in the in the case and started trying to help the police, but he wasn't really. He was just trying to say, "Was hey, look, it's me, guys." He <laughs> was like a school scare, school caretaker or something, wasn't he? We're, we're obviously not a yeah, true crime podcast, anyway, so we apologise for the lack of true crime knowledge being shown here. Go, go, yeah, go and ask, go and ask your wife; she likes that kind of thing. But um, anyway, but the the point is, is that he's kind of his nose is put out of joint because he's got away with it, and you notice he doesn't do any more. It's just this one. He's this focused on this one act. And so that makes him that makes Raymond kind of interesting when you think of all the other serial killers that we've talked about in all those other films and all those other books. Don't know many who've just said, I'm going to kill one person. <laughs> and that's the end of it. Um, so it's, it kind of does make him kind of interesting. He is unique in that respect. It's normally, as I said, it's normally you have the one that is an escalation from there, really, isn't it? But... Just to have that one, mm. just have the one one uh, murder, but someone who you're not actually attached to, because I said, I mean, the, the if we were going down like the one murder, it's normally sort of like somebody that the person knows um, that that, that uh, they they it's sort of like more of an act of rage or something. But this is, as I said, this is a calculated act that he carries out, and even when we get into like this outlandish sort of like final act where we have the two of them going on this road trip and shown where where Saskia is because he says to him that you know I, you've got the only way you know the truth is if you go for it as well um, and then he also like he makes him sandwiches mm. which is Raymond makes uh, sandwiches for Rex and then he like hastens to point out the fact that sandwiches aren't poisoned <laughs> something else is though hmm <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I was surprised, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm so like invested yes. in the story at this point. The fact that we're going on a road trip with, as I said, the the victim's fiance 
and the guy who's carried out this. We're going to go on this road trip and we get real tense when the police lights pull them over one minute because he won't get to where he where he's supposed to be. Like he could turn the guy in, but he's so driven in like the fact that he wants to find out what happened to her. These little moments, as I said, there's so many mm. these little moments in the film which which really sort of elevate it up. And why I would, even if you've been told the ending, I would like urge you to go and watch it. Much like Stepford Wives, there's so much more to this film than just the ending. The actual journey itself is just so fantastic, and I think that's what made it such a a worthwhile experience. And kind of makes me wish that I had hadn't put it off for so long now. Yeah, I mean, we both put it off for. Nearly 40 yep. years. <laughs> 35 years, yeah. Um, and it's testament. I mean, yeah, again, it's just one of those things that the ending, the ending kind of overshadows it because the ending is literally five minutes at the end. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it all builds up to this sort of, this, it ramps up the tension, it, it, it draws really interesting characters and it's only in the last five minutes all becomes revealed. Um, because, like you say, he hasn't drugged his sandwiches, but he has drugged Rex's drink. Oh, but Rex knows yes, this, he's told he? that he's told that um, That's right. there's a sedative in, in the coffee. Um, That's right. But yeah, because he even says like how long it's going to take to cause effect. Take, um, effect. Um mm. And, and 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 so basically says you know if you drink this you'll you'll, you'll experience that, that you'll know what happened to her because you'll experience it. And Rex isn't thinking straight at this stage because now I've said that out loud, mate. Pretty certain I wouldn't do that. <laughs> to experience it, surely it's going to mean something. Probably not what happens, but yeah. And um, yeah, I'm just going to go straight to the end. And say Rex wakes up in a coffin underground. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's why it, it stuck with so many people because, as I said, it's one of those acts that really makes people feel claustrophobic and uneasy. It's sort of like that's sort of like one of those horrible fates that can befall somebody. Um, I can think of a few other ones that would be worse, but um, as I said. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could have been set up like, um, I don't know, like the fe- like Troy Min Sick at the end of um, what's that serial killer film we watched from Korea? I saw the devil. That that would be pretty bad to wake up in that scenario that Troy Min Sick is at the end. But um, yeah, <laughs> and it's but that that that's it. You know, we we spend a couple of min well minute or two with Rex in a cinematically impossible to film scene, but let's just let him get away with it with his uh, cigarette lighter, realizing there's no way out and that he's going to suffocate. And that's what happened to Saskia. And I think in the most shocking turn of event for me, Raymond gets away with it. Hmm. (laughs) We just see him at the end, wife and kids. He's got away with it. (laughs) The summer home again. I think they are. Um, the end. So that that journey is, it's grim, and has there is no happy ending. There's no happy ending for Saskia. There's no happy ending for Rex. 
Um, it's a happy ending for Raymond, who's the guy we shouldn't be wishing a happy ending on. And the fact that he went and remade it in the West and had Rex jump out and punch Raymond. And oh, yeah, it's, it's so stupid, the American it's, one is. It's yeah. such a, a stupid, stupid... Um... And I think that's the one where Kiefer Sutherland's not the crazy person. It's Jeff Bridges who's the crazy person. Yeah, Jeff, Brid- Jeff Bridges is the Roman character, and, and Kiefer Sutherland is the... Uh, this is a young Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, yeah, there. but so this is Kiefer, Kiefer young Kiefer Sutherland was when he was like... Like uh, blonde and broody, and like you know, you think of like Lost Boys and Flatliners. That Keith Sutherland, then that yeah. would make you more of the the ideal choice, rather than when he became like you know, bulky and punchy when he became Jack Bauer, age twenty four, where he just sells things by mm. shouting and punch. He just basically followed the um, Doug McClure school of philosophy. Mm-hmm. Things can be solved by punching them. <laughs> Yeah, and torturing people and stuff like that. Funny, funny old times. Twenty-four. <laughs> our hero is Jack Bauer, who literally went around t- torturing innocent people <laughs> one hour at a time. Um, God, I, I I got caught up in that. I'm not going to lie. Um, but yeah, I just think that ending. You know, I'm sure people. It's the ending. The fact that he wakes up in a in a in a coffin underground is, is the thing that sticks with people obviously um they made that ryan reynolds film where that was the whole film wasn't it oh buried he was uh, yeah where they, they sort of extend that out for the whole film with an equally you know that has got a grim ending as well <laughs> that's it's not not quite the same because it's a shot but, but i i mean you knew what the ending was going to be right we haven't. Neither of us have hidden from this for thirty-five no, years. No, no, no. I mean, the first time I heard about this film was uh, when Channel Four was doing their, I think it was top one hundred uh, scariest movies of all time, and mm. this was was one of the ones that was was brought up. And <laughs> as with all those lists, they gave away the ending. I just remember it. I remember mm. it sort of like sticking with. Me. But the ending that they showed was basically him underground and it rising up to show the um the people above it didn't actually show him looking mm. smug in his country estate surrounded by his mm. family and stuff which is kind of um kind of unnerving and do you mm. think that this is it you know he's carried off his his master plan just the obsession end at the fact he's pulled this off twice well that i mean that's that's the thing isn't it i that that's the bit i struggle with i mean I know, I know. This is his whole reasoning, and he says he has no conscience, but he wants to get his daughter's respect, and he can only do that by being super good by having that juxtaposition of doing something super evil. But and and as we've said, he doesn't seem to get any gratification from the act. He gets frustrated because that act isn't recognised. But Raymond, yeah, I, I. I don't know how you could do something like that twice and not feel the need to do it again or to, you know, there, there could have been a vanishing two where a policeman who's following up the crime also ends up, no, there could be just a whole load of boxes underground with dead people in it. But I don't know. It's very hard because although we spend a lot of time with Raymond, He's quite a hard guy to know, isn't he? With or without that ridiculous beard. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's just, I, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't empathise with him at all. Even though we spent all that time and got to know him so well, it's a really weird relationship we have with him. So I, I, I don't know. Did you reckon? Do you reckon he did it again? I have a feeling he did. He's got that sort mm. of the sort of impression about him, the, the fact that he's pulled it off once and he's going to try and come up with an even more elaborate plot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would assume that no pop star wants to be a one-hit wonder, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, whether or not that's what they're famous for. I'm sure, I'm sure no, nobody who murders in this calculated, unemotional way would not do it again. You know, he hasn't murdered. So what's the um, what's that old saying? Isn't it? Mur- you know, usually a murder's for sex or money, right? But this murder's for neither. So there's what is this? Yeah, it's just weird. Very weird. Very interesting. Very unique. I honestly cannot think of another. Even like when you think about who's that? So lots of books he's in. What Dexter? Um, no, Dexter's a full-on serial killer, isn't he? Um, no, I'm thinking the one... Patricia Highsmith's character. Um, Matt Damon plays oh, him in um, that film. Ripley. Oh, Ripley. Talented Mr. Ripley, right? right? Yeah, so even even Ripley, in all his sort of different things, although he he's, he, he's driven by an urge to, I don't know, get with a certain man or, or, or do something. There's always, a, there's always a rhyme or reason to his crimes, even though he would profess that, you know, he's totally unemotional towards it all. And that's part of the thing. You know, it, all, all his crimes and all his murders are, are, are to some kind of end where he receives some kind of gratification. Um, this is Raymond wants no gratification other than potentially to tell somebody what he's done. <laughs> but he can't tell them without... It will get exposed. Oh no, I'm talking round and round. It's an interesting character. I take it you really like this. Movie. I did enjoy this a lot. I thought this was really fantastic. I don't know about yourself, but um, I'm not sure it's going to be like in my like you know my uh, my top ten film discoveries for the for this year. Uh, but it certainly ranked very highly. Um, yeah, I, but I don't know. Would for, for I watch me... it again? That's the question. Yeah, for me, it's it's a good four out of five, eight out of ten kind of film. Um, I, I wasn't disappointed in it at all. I just felt the genre has moved on, <laughs> and all these people saying it's the most scary thing they've ever seen. That that moment we discussed, you know, at the at the service station when when Rex realizes she's gone. Absolutely, that talks to some kind of primal parental fear, even though Saskia isn't his daughter. But I, I get, it's I get that, that. Yeah, it's a fear of loss, isn't but it? So it it is. But I wasn't scared, scared, and I wasn't. This wasn't audition level of oh my fucking god, what just hit the screen? No, and and yeah, and and, and so. I, I get why people liked it. I get where it lives in that history of uh, murderer, serial killer. He's not really a serial killer, is he? But you know what I mean. In that in that kind of genre, this is an important film, and also a film probably 
could only be made in Europe, yeah? I could see I could see a, a Jallo version of this. I can see a, a proper French version. So I can never see the... Met- now, even um, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which predates this by a couple of years, is... It's just grimly dark the whole way through. The thing with yeah, I mean the thing with Henry Portrait of Serial Killer. I mean it's it's uh, much more of an independent picture, even though it's an American mm. film. And I think that's certainly when you look at the dark pictures of like the seventies and the eighties, a lot of them are more sort of independent, low budget features, um, like the Henlotter movies, like um, even like things like Abel Ferrara's uh, Driller Killer, um, mm. which is another interesting study of a you know what drives a serial killer in that case the terrible punk band upstairs sending the frustrated artist <laughs> with his cordless drill to go on the rampage i like i like for yeah, and he's i think he's my um go-to for sleaze you, you you do like him i mean i'm i'm just reminded it's, it's a different sort of film but again something stuck with me more is is hitchcock's frenzy so the last film hitchcock made is this low budget british serial killer movie but there's a lot of stuff done with sort of first person camera and stuff like that and it's it's grim and sleazy and it's nothing like psycho or north by northwest or vertigo it's but it's it's still but that that film has stuck with me this the ending will stick with me even though actually the ending isn't the bit which really maybe because i don't get claustrophobic but that isn't the bit that really made my 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 stress levels right so yeah i think i think it's a good film it's got it deserves its reputation but i do think the last 35 years the you know it, this kind of film they, they've gone further this is no seven is it this is no um i i'm trying to think of other oh i saw the devil you know that we that we watched fairly recently is this times a million and yeah, just 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 felt a little bit dated to me, but it's I'm being harsh on it because it's a good it's a good movie. It's just and also interesting that the guy never made another movie at this level. It's very bizarre. Yep, it is. Um, yeah, he obviously made other films, but he just never had anything that sort of reached these same heights. And I think perhaps they was hoping mm. for the same by remaking this film in in the states. But obviously, if you remake this film in the states, as we said at the start, you gotta have, gotta have a happy ending. You can't have a a sad ending in the, if you make films in the states. C- certainly, yeah, c- certainly not if you're making a proper studio movie. I think I think I think people do do it in indie indie movies, but yeah. Yeah, sad. But yeah, but yeah, 35 years was too long. And I wish I'd watched it before. And ironically, as I think I told you last episode, I've had it in my um, Amazon shopping basket for ages, thinking, oh, I need to buy this. <laughs> just never got around to it. Um, just give me one second here. Um, the film is actually in the Criterion Collection. I'm trying. Mm. Unfortunately, I don't have a spine number for for you, but uh, you can get it. And there is also an essay from um, Kim Newman on there. Um, for myself, it's currently sitting at number thirteen in my uh, film discoveries for this year, which puts it above the hunt. Really, I think I preferred the hunt, but 
it's it's a close call. What we're going to have to do at the end of the year is probably do both our top twenty films of the year discoveries period, aren't we? As a across the board and see to see what we both enjoyed over yeah. the year. That's that's something to do for Christmas, <laughs> I reckon. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to see if I could find out which spine number it was, but so, no. I normally have a list of like all the Criterion numbers, so. Mm. Uh, what? Okay, um, Vanishing is spine number 133. Between the ruling class and Haxion. Haxion, the yes. Swedish um, witchcraft thing, yeah. Okay. I didn't think, you know, I have those silly moments where it's sort of like, oh, I just, like, do something based around the Criterion Collection, and then you realise there's a lot of stuff in the Criterion Collection I have no intention of ever watching, so. Yeah, I used to be a bit of a Criterion Collection snob. Um, mostly because it was one of the few places, like Spy 136, like Spellbound, you could get, <laughs> and 137, Notorious, those Alfred Hitchcock films. And yeah, anyway, I'm going to stop looking because <laughs> that's spoiling it. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. And then there's sort of these weird ones like Armageddon, like F- which I know, I know, I know why they do it. I know absolutely why they do it, but it. I always find it really weird that they um, that these big budget films exist and all aren't always. Anderson oh, the Coen Brothers ones seem to on turn up well. in there as well. And although they have yeah. um, recently announced that they are putting out a triple pack, which is going to have um, Top Browning's films, uh, which would be Freaks. Oh, okay. Um, oh, so, uh, that Lon Chaney movie where he's uh, um, a knife row with no hands, which I can't remember. But um, yeah, I'm really mm-hmm. happy that Freaks is in the Criterion Collection finally. I think it's well deserving there. I mean, it's the grandfather of exploitation cinema, and it's in my top four mm. on my letterbox, which I still practice every day in the mirror, giving my t- my letterbox picks <laughs> just in case he asks. <laughs> um, I did oh, actually dear. pitch it to him. It's all like, you know, because they always show me like exotic cities and around the world. It's all like, mm. how about you um, do one like in somewhere like Gosport or Skegness and like try and put a fancy <laughs> edge on this? It's sort of like, here you can see the Spinner Guitar, but that's in Portsmouth. <laughs> here you can see with the Libby Toes that <laughs> they closed down, filled in the sinkhole and closed down the finkhole. This is our bus station where the homeless people were imported from Portsmouth on a daily basis. So, something like that. That was obviously The Vanishing, unless you've got anything else to talk about, Stephen. No, I, I don't think so. Um, but, uh, Stephen, it is your turn to pick next. Where in the world would you like to go? So, I was going to go a certain place, but I've changed my mind. Whilst okay, I was the way into. I'll put it away. I don't, I don't think we're quite ready for a Russian film yet. Oh really? Um, no, no, no. Well, we'll do that next next time. I'm okay. not ready for it. I, 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 I was going to pick a certain film. <laughs> now you said, now you said Probably Russia. Re- I imagine it's going to be like one of one of two films that it is obviously going to be. Whereas I've got a fair. Russian film. Well, I've got a couple of Russian films I'm sitting on, but yeah. Well, it it wasn't going to be Stalker. It's going to be Solaris, wasn't it? Let's put it that way. It was, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because I've got the Criterion edition of that, and I just thought it's just funny that we started talking about Criterion. Like, oh. Tarkovsky, but 
But I, do you know what? I'm I'm no. not ready for that yet. We'll wait to episode fifty or something to do a Tarkovsky film because I do quite like his movies, but we all need three or four hours to watch them and be able to watch them at the beginning of the day, though, so we don't fall asleep. No, I'm going to go for an animated okay. film, and I'm not really sure quite what country this film is from <laughs> i am sure it's a co-production it's an iranian french co-production um animated movie um based on a very popular graphic novel um called persopolis okay. um i don't know but basically um marjan satrapi sort of um autobiographical autobiographical novel was made into a animated movie in the same style as the um anime as as same style as a graphic novel so i think it's french money but it's very much an iranian story but about uh, an iranian woman young girl who basically gets out of tehran well i'm not going to ruin it but it's um yeah, it's a story about sort of everyday life as a as a young Muslim woman. Have you seen no, it before? It's uh, another one that's on the the watch pub. I've never found like the right mood yeah. to sit down and watch it. Um, so, yeah, I I just thought I thought let's, let's go for a bit of animation. And I actually, as I was tidying up some DVDs the other way, I found my DVD of it. I thought I need a reason to watch Persopolis again. And this show is it's that a very reason. good. It's covering a lot of bases, isn't it? So. <laughs> It, it it really it really is, and it's also um, at only ninety six minutes, um, one that's not too onerous on the old type compared to Solaris. <laughs> Solaris is like four hours or something. Or something. I know it's a big heavy thing. Something something like that, something like that, and then we can talk about the George Clooney remake as well when we get to that. But not today. Let, let's let's do Persopolis. I, I'm um. I'm a big fan of that movie, but I haven't seen it since it came out. Okay. So um, let's see if time has been kind to it. Fantastic. So that's obviously coming up on our next uh, episode. Uh, if you haven't done already, uh, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to the show. And check out our main show, the Asian Cinema Film Club, if you haven't already, uh, where every episode, much like this uh, show, um, we take turns to pick a film and explore the wonderful world of Asian cinema. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and we are also on Freds as well, so you can track us down and say hi to us there and share your thoughts on world cinema. We always love to hear recommendations from uh, you guys in there. Certainly let us know uh, what how, what's, how your uh, film discovery list is shaping for the year as well. But... Um, until next time, thank you as always for listening. Thanks to my co-host, Stephen. Pleasure as always. And until next time, good night. This coffee sure tastes funny, Stephen. Thank you.